0: How's everybody today? Open your Bibles to Ephesians 6. If you're not into books, open up your phones with your Bible app. Follow along on our church app. We're going to have some notes on the screen behind me. Uh, Ephesians 6 is um, our main verse here for this series. We're in Battle Ready Part 2. My name is Ryan. I'm the worship and spiritual life pastor here at Abundant Life Church. Sweet. All right. We're waking up. We're waking up. All right. All right. Can we give it up for Jesus today? Yes. Okay. Fantastic. Cool. Well, you usually see me kind of over here. I usually play guitar and and sing and stuff. Or if you're at Clearbrook today, shout out to my Clearbrook peoples. Come on. Can we say hello to Clearbrook? You can see me over there a couple times a month doing something similar. But I get the privilege of speaking to you guys today in part two of our battle ready series. Everyone say battle ready. That's pretty good. Battle ready. Last week, Pastor John kicked off this summer series and he talked about the belt of truth. It was a fantastic message. And I encourage you, if you missed it, you can go check out the podcast or the sermon replay YouTube. You can find it in our app. You can look online. But today, part two of this series, I'm going to talk to you about the breastplate of righteousness. And this isn't some kind of mystical armor in maybe like a video game or in a Lord of the Rings film or something. Um, But this is the second piece of the armor of God that's been described by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Ephesians 6, if you're there, say, I'm there. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And we're really gonna zero in on what this means here with the breastplate of righteousness in place in verse 14. Now you can flip back two chapters to Ephesians chapter four because we're gonna get there in a few minutes. But this part of Ephesians where Paul's talking about it closely resembles something that the prophet Isaiah uh, used to describe Christ, the Messiah in Isaiah 59. And he said, he put on righteousness, as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So God described himself through the person of Jesus and the redemption of sinners as also putting on this breastplate Of righteousness and over and over in scripture we see that people that call themselves christians people that are believers that we are charged with being like christ we are to imitate christ and the very name christian is synonymous with being of christ or like christ so for paul them to charge us in putting on a breastplate of righteousness is not just some random thing. It's not like he was trying to think about the spiritual battles we fight and just thought, eh, righteousness, that sounds good. No, this came from Isaiah, and he knew that in Christ being described this way by God through that prophet, knows that if we are going to be imitators of Christ, then we ourselves must put on righteousness as a breastplate. You guys with me? God is infinitely righteous, and I feel like with with righteousness, I want to get into this and and what this means because I feel like it's one of those topics maybe that that can be kind of a far-off, aloof thing, like, oh, righteousness, that's cool, what is that? We're going to get into that, but God is infinitely righteous. He is morally right and just, free from guilt, sin, or stain, but we are not. That's not us. That's God. So if we're going to be like Christ, how could we possibly take on righteousness? And I want to answer that question as we get into things today. But before we get there, and I feel like the best way for us to move forward is to gain some understanding to what righteousness is, okay? So I described God as being righteous by definition, but for us in particular, what does righteousness look like? And so... Alexander McLaren, scholar, and he studied theology, he said righteousness is manifested in character and in conduct. And I feel like that was like the best way for me to kind of bring things together as describing righteousness from the context of humanity. And I want to zero in on that. So character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. And conduct is the manner in which a person behaves, especially in a particular place or situation. Now, I want to say this now, and I'm going to say it again later. Your character and your conduct are not what get you into heaven. I want to be very clear about that. Your distinctive qualities and your behavior doesn't bridge the gap between you and God. Only Jesus does that. You can't save you. Only Jesus saves you. So when we're talking about righteousness, we're not talking about salvation in particular. But Paul does instruct us in Philippians 2.12 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And in the New Living Translation, it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So really, with righteousness at the core, it's a desire to obey God. And then within that desire comes evidence or the result of salvation. So the result of our giving our lives to Christ, of our salvation, need to be put on display. That's what righteousness is at its core. Character and conduct. It's about displaying the evidence of the work of God in our lives, and that is best displayed through our mindsets, our speech, our qualities, and our behaviors. So Ephesians four, told you to turn over there. If you didn't, you could do it now, but verse 21 says, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught With regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I wanted to read this out of the message version as well, because I I love how this kind of comes to life. And so it's a little long, so just stick with me. But it says, and so I insist... And God backs me up on this. This is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. That there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. And feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ My assumption, pardon me, is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth, which Pastor John touched on last week, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. I want to pause there because we often claim ignorance in times where we're actively living in sin or when we mess up. Like, I didn't really know better. We can't be a believer And use ignorance as a justification. Because in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have an internal guide. We have someone walking alongside of us. So Paul says we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. Say, it has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside, working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. So righteousness is God reproducing his character in you, character and conduct. You guys with me still? So then Paul describes what this looks like. He says, what this adds up to then is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. And when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, not anymore. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. This is what righteousness looks like. Righteousness is the display of the evidence of the work of Christ made manifest in your life. If we are not displaying these qualities, we are not righteous, and I would argue, are you even Christian? Because the idea of being like Christ is to put his character and conduct on display in our lives. So how we live each day, the decisions we make, how we treat our spouse, how we treat our kids, that should reflect Christ. And we should live like we fully understand the price that was paid for the freedom that we have in Christ. So when we're mad at our spouse, let's not yell at our spouse and, like, throw the kitchen sink at them. Well, don't throw anything at your spouse, but that was figurative. You, but, you know, you've been there, right? Well, you did this 12 years ago. And I'm bringing this up because I'm offended, and I get defensive when I'm put in a corner. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to start preaching. That was the old you. But putting righteousness on display, taking righteousness as a breastplate, there's a new you because of Christ. And the new you needs to wear that, to wear Christ and his righteousness as a breastplate. And when no one is around, you don't pull up pornographic sites and images on your phone or computer, not only because it destroys your life, which it does, but because that was the old you. We're talking about the new you, and the new you should display the evidence and the work of Christ in your life. Wear righteousness as a breastplate. And when nosy Nancy or gossiping Gary says stuff about you at work, he's going to say that about me. We don't get on Facebook and post passive-aggressive comments about them. (laughs) (laughs) Snap. Somebody hold me back. Show me where in the Bible God says it's okay to tear people down in a passive-aggressive manner. We use Facebook as a shield and as a justification for tearing down the body of Christ, and it has to stop. And we get on there, oh, I'm not going to name names, like... Somehow not naming names all of a sudden makes something sinful less sinful, I guess. I'm not going to name names, but a certain someone needs to stop talking about me behind my back. Or this situation, you just better be careful, certain someone. As if we don't know who you're talking about. There is not a scripture in the Bible that justifies that type of behavior. And then we have our friends, and I put it in quotes because they're not friends. They give you like, amen, or preach, or they pop some gif on there. What you're doing is not honoring God. Because by condoning and agreeing with this kind of behavior, I'm telling you, you're not displaying the evidence of Christ or his death on the cross by tearing down the very people that he died for. Jesus died for that person. Jesus died for nosy Nancy. Jesus died for gossiping Gary. He did. And I get that you're hurt and I get that you're offended, but there's a godly way to deal with the fence. And that is not it. And I feel like I'm hanging on this for a while, but it's the very thing that drove me off of Facebook. If you look at my Facebook account over the last couple of years, aside from the last few weeks as we're getting ready to go to Lithuania, and that's his own thing, I never post on there because I never get on there because I hate it because all I see is drama. But I feel like we as believers, and I've seen it, I've seen it from people in this room, I've seen it from people that call themselves Christians, and it is a disappointment and a grievance to the Holy Spirit When we call ourselves Christians and get on Facebook and behave in this manner, it grieves God because it does not put on display the evidence of Christ at work in your life. And I have to remind us, that person, those people you're talking about, Jesus died for them. He bled for them. They don't need that behavior. They need love. If someone hurt you... Handle it in a godly way. Show them love and show them Jesus. Instead of tearing them down, win them to Christ for Pete's sake. Man, I'm like hyped right now, but like in the worst kind of way I feel like. That's the old you. When you are new in Christ, there's a new you. That kind of behavior's got to stop. Stop. All right, if you still love me, say amen. Amen. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Righteousness guards us from sin by helping us live a God-honoring life. And it guards us from temptation by keeping us battle-ready. Our battle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. Our battle takes place in the heavenlies. Our enemy, the devil, he's smart and he's precise. He's constantly looking, hear me, he's looking for unarmed and unprepared people. Those are the easy targets. And you guys ever watch like any, you know, documentaries on like Netflix or whatever, Our Planet, Blue Planet, Planet Earth, No, Just Me, okay. Seriously, none of you guys watch that stuff? Oh, okay, cool. All right. (laughs) I'm like, I'm in my own crowd. (laughs) Have you ever seen, like, the predator go after the prey? Do they go after, like, the big guy? They go after the ones that are lagging behind. They go after the ones in the back, the small ones. That's how the devil works. I'm telling you, if you're unprepared or unequipped, if you're unarmed, and more importantly, if you're isolated, you're a prime target for the enemy. Those predators will always go after the lone, those that are by themselves. And the devil works in the exact same way. And so this breastplate of righteousness, so when you look at an actual breastplate, it guards the heart, the body, the vital organs from arrows, attacks. But righteousness guards us from sin and temptation. Do we have any law enforcement officers here today? Any military veterans? I see a few hands, cool. Any first responders? Yes, oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we can show them some love. I know I can't see you guys up at Clearbrook but just clap for them anyways because they deserve it. You guys work in dangerous jobs. When you're getting dressed and geared up for work or for the battlefield, one of the most crucial things you wear protects your vital organs. What am I talking about? Body armor, right? Bulletproof vests, might call it. I don't know. Hollywood kind of dramatizes it, but this is like a tank top, right? It's like cotton-based, maybe sixty percent cotton, forty percent polyester, because you know you might sweat. No, that's not right. This body armor protects them. From bullets and shrapnel and other things, it would be just as ridiculous for these guys in these fields to walk out of the house and go into battle without that body armor as it is for believers to get up and go out about their day without the breastplate of righteousness. It's just as risky. You're literally putting yourself on the line. The devil is going to attack. It's not an if, but it's a when. And we have to be prepared. We have to be armed and ready. Because if we're not, he will come and he will bring about destruction. In James chapter 4, he writes, So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom. Cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. That's out of the message. God knows none of us are perfect. He knows we're going to mess up. God is not looking for perfect people. If that were the pre-qualification, none of us would qualify. He's not looking for perfect people, but he's just looking for people that are willing to own their mistakes and say, yeah, I did that, I messed up. Thank you for forgiveness, God. I'm going to put this armor back on. I'm going to head back out. The breastplate of righteousness guards our hearts and protects us from sin and temptation. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything else you do flows from it. The New Living Translation says, your heart determines the course of your life. Proverbs 27.19 says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Luke 6.45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What am I saying? God is concerned with the heart. He's after our heart because it's our heart that determines how we live every single day. But you have to know that if God's after your heart, so is the devil. This, this spiritual battle is fought over our heart. We have to be battle ready. We have to put on the spiritual armor and fight with spiritual weapons. As believers, our relationship with God has to be founded on something greater and stronger than a one-hour service on a Sunday morning. If this service is the only God you get this week, you are not actively preparing yourself for the battles of every single day. And know what I said, every single day. A Sunday morning one-hour service does not prepare you for the next six days of battle. It just doesn't you'll lack what is needed to maintain being battle ready. And oftentimes, you know, we we have the intentions of good things. We often have the best of intentions like, oh, I meant to text you or, yeah, we planned on coming to church or we planned on coming to life through this week. Something came up or I had every intention of reading my Bible and praying today. You ever said any of stuff like that? I, I know I have. You know, we often complain about not having enough time for certain things, but the reality is we, we really do. We have time for whatever is most important to us. We really do. And if you don't have time to do something, what you're saying is, that thing is not as important to me as this or as that. So we intend to do a lot, but we rarely follow through with those intentions. Why? Because our hearts are drawn to something else. Our desires lead us to do other things and to prioritize other things. This is why we need to wear a breastplate of righteousness to guard our hearts. Isaiah 29, 13, he says, and so the Lord says, these people say they are mine, but they, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. It does us no good if we call ourselves Christians while our hearts are not near to the Lord. God is after our heart, he's concerned about our heart. And I wanna talk for a moment about routine because routines can be good and they can be bad. On the bad side, one of the traps of being so busy when it comes to routine is that we make the routine of church the center of our relationship with God. You know, we do church. You know, Sunday we get up, get our coffee, shake a few hands. How you doing? I'm fine. Liar. <laughs> I know that's our go-to response. Are you really fine? I asked somebody that this morning, actually, when we were greeting. Yeah, I'm fine. And, you know, then you sit in your seat and just maybe listen to some good music, hear a good message, and then you go home. The routine of church cannot be the center of your relationship with God. Why? Because Jesus has to be the center of your relationship with God. And I'm not coming against the routine of church. Like, church is a good thing, okay? Hear me. I'm not saying don't come to church or, like, if you don't feel like it, don't come to church. That's not what I'm saying. But we can make our relationship with God about going to church or going to life group. Those are good things. but That's not the main thing. Pastor John says we gotta keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. Jesus has to be at the center of our relationship with God. Everything revolves around Christ. But I want you to know today, if you're here and things aren't really fine, it's okay. You're in good company because Rarely all of us are just fine because we all carry different burdens and struggles, but I would encourage you not to leave today the same way you came in. Jesus changes you. He wants to brighten your day. He wants to speak to you and show you how much he loves you, and he wants to make the best out of every bad situation because Jesus saves and he heals. He sets people free. He desperately loves his children But you need to bring your heart closer to the Lord. Bring your heart closer to the Lord. Is your heart sinful and messy? No problem. Bring it to the Lord. Jesus didn't say, get your life together and come to me. He just said, come to me. Is your heart broken and hurting? That's okay. Just bring it to Jesus. He didn't say, get yourself healthy and then come to me. He said, no, just come to me. He even said, I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And so routines. Yes, routines can be bad because of the monotony of things. But routines can be a good thing as well. You know, here we're talking about the breastplate, it protecting our hearts physically and the breastplate of righteousness, protecting our hearts spiritually spiritually. Many of you know some of the difficulties I've had the past two and a half years with my health. And there was literally like an attack against my heart. And not like an actual heart attack. But the enemy was coming after my heart. You know, I got diagnosed with Graves' disease. And one of the side effects of that was putting my heart in atrial fibrillation, which is... You know, basically, you know, your heart normally beats, you know, kind of like this. And the top portion of my heart um, was not beating like this. The bottom was, but the top was just doing this the whole time. And I was in early stages of heart failure, and I was high risk for heart attack, which is weird when you're 36, or I was 34 at the time, to be like, yeah, you're high risk for heart attack. That's weird. And that's difficult. One of the other side effects of this is that it led to a leak in one of my valves, the mitral valve. And it was a pretty severe leak. And the cardiologist told me, you're probably going to need valve replacement surgery. Nobody wants to have heart surgery. The thing for me in hearing this information It was difficult because your life expectancy changes when you go into these types of procedures. I feel like I'm pretty young, and I've got a lot left to live for, and I love my girls. And the last thing I want to think about is that because of whatever situation is going on, that I may not be here for them. The enemy was literally coming after my heart. So again, coming back to routines, routines can be a good thing. The routine of church, the routine of a quiet time, the routine of praying and talking to Jesus, my Savior and my healer, is what got me through these last two and a half years. I didn't feel like coming to church and in being like completely real with you guys, the last thing I wanted to do was get bad news from a doctor and then come up here and sing songs and praise to God. I'm just being honest. Because I blamed God for where I was at. God, I'm your son, right? I mean, you love me. Jesus, you're my healer. I feel like I'm literally on the brink of death in some of these moments. You know, I wear a watch that tells me what my heart rate is. I can feel it fluttering like it's going to pound out out of my chest. And hearing words like heart failure and heart attack and it's just, you know, and and valve replacement surgery. God, where are you? Sometimes in life, things are difficult. And I don't know how the enemy is attacking you today. All I know is the battle is real. It's real, and for me, I just needed to press through and continue to praise God and continue to lift him up and give him thanks, and it wasn't easy, and I was really bad at it, just being just being honest. It's not like, oh, yeah, Pastor Ryan, you're a pastor. This was easy for you. No, it wasn't, and I got up here a lot of weeks, and I faked it. I stood up here and preached messages, and it was fake in a sense of where I didn't Quite a hundred percent believe what I was preaching. Not because I doubted that God was who He said He was, but I wasn't seeing evidence of that in my life. But I stuck with the routine, anyways. Life is a battlefield, you just got to get up, put your armor on, and head out. Don't head out into battle without your armor. Now, everybody's story is different. I'm not saying if you do this, God's going to fix your problems. But I'm happy to report today my last appointment with my cardiologist. Somehow, my heart healed itself. That's awesome news. Now, my cardiologist, you know, he's like, hey, just keep on preaching or whatever you do because it's working. He knew I was a pastor. Sometimes God doesn't heal. Sometimes things take longer. God's timing, it's not our timing. God's ways, they're not our ways. I had to wait a couple of years. Sometimes you gotta wait a couple of months or a couple of days for your miracle, your answer. Sometimes you gotta wait longer. All I'm trying to say is, when it comes to righteousness and it guarding our hearts, you gotta stick with it. You gotta power through in Matthew 6, Jesus told us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In Jeremiah 29, 13, he said, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart, all of our heart. So we just need to bring our heart to Jesus. We gotta look to him today. We have to seek after Christ. And then after you've brought your heart to the Lord today, just commit to doing it tomorrow. And then you get through tomorrow and then commit to doing it the next day. Sometimes life is moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. Sometimes it just is, and that's okay. And if you feel like you're in a circumstance where even going day by day is difficult, that's okay too. We're all going through stuff. Jeremiah 23, 6, it says, this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. This name of God, it's Jehovah Sidkenu. It means the Lord is our righteousness. I said this earlier and I'm saying it again here now. Your behavior, your conduct, your character, it doesn't make you righteous and it doesn't save you. Jesus makes you righteous. Jesus is our righteousness. In Romans 3, Paul tells us apart. part from the law, the righteousness of God has been made, well known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness. And Jesus makes us the best version of ourselves. Jesus saves. Jesus heals Jesus sets us free, and you can count on him making you righteous as well. Godly character, God-honoring conduct, it begins with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus because he is faithful to make the work in us complete. Keep your heart near to his because it's the only way you can truly arm and prepare yourself for the spiritual battles we fight every day. Only Jesus can make you battle ready. Let's pray.